Namaste. One of the greatness of the Indian civilization is that it is built on very, very strong foundation. In fact, in its foundation there is the immutable. Unlike civilizations which developed after a long period of journey through millenniums, at some point of time we see either a prophet who came and there was a revelation and then people rallied around him. There was a book which was given and then they started following the path. In Indian civilization, the prophets came first, the rishis, the seers. And then the civilization and the country and everything else developed. Religion came later, much later. So the civilization developed on this foundation, which we know today is the Vedas and the Upanishads. And uh, the first questions they solved, which today we find uh, in many civilizations either unanswered or now people are raising those questions. So Indian civilization started with these questions. Who am I? What is the basis of this universe? What is my relation with God? What is God's relation with the world? What is my relation with each other? And all of that on a firm foundation, not as addicts do's and don'ts, but things which are based on this foundation. And what did they discover? If you look at Indian thought, uh, three forms of uh, relation between the one, one discovery is that there are two eternal realities while all else is in a state of motion. So these two eternal realities are, one is the infinite, illimitable self, and the other is the finite self, which is the portion of that. That is the Lord and the Jiva, soul. The Paramatma and the Jivatma, these are immutable. They, They do not change. So, what is the relation? So, Indian thought came up with three different uh, options. One is that Advaita. The finite self, actually, it's an illusion. There is only the infinite, illimitable self. And therefore, the finite self must realize this. Shed the illusion of the separate self. Become one with the Lord and be done with it. The second is Visishta Advaita. So, Visishta Advaita gives the analogy of the ocean and the waves. So each wave is, we can say the ocean, the ocean is within it. There is no wave without the ocean. At the same time, the wave is not the ocean. Both are true. If a wave begins to believe that it is the ocean, if a wave begins to believe that it is separate, for instance, the finite self, whatever we know as ourselves, begins to believe that it is separate from the ocean, separate from the world, separate from existence, then it, and that's the illusion which creates disappointment, failures, disturbance, grief, because it's not true. So the illusion here is the sense of a separate self. At the same time, the wave is real in terms of time. So Rises, lapses, rises, lapses through a series we may call as rebirths until it reaches the shore. It starts its journey from one shore and then it lapses, rises like birth and rebirth till it reaches the shore. This is the second Visishtadvaita. Uh, this is the reality of both the finite and the infinite. But the finite is derived from the infinite. In the Advaita, there is no reality of a finite self and it raises a very uncomfortable question. I mean, finite self is just the ego, it's an illusion. 
then who gets free? So that's a question. But Vishist Advaita says that yes, there is a play between the finite and infinite self and that's why the universe is created. The finite self rejoices in the infinite self and the infinite self rejoices in the finite self, the basis of bhakti. So that's how the two are connected with each other. And the third is Dvaita. They are forever separate. But they are mutually attracted to each other. Now here the only image that comes close is of the river and the sea. So river is still rushing and meeting, entering into the sea. So even in Dvaita, the ultimate goal is with the help of the infinite illimitable to reach that point. And yet we can equally say that the river is separate and the sea is separate. The river has its own course and journey and the sea is separate. So these are the three standpoints. And these standpoints create um, uh, different kinds of perception and relation with regard to the world. Now, are they different standpoints? Shurabindu in uh, Collected Works of Shurabindu, Volume 17, Part 2, which we are discussing today. He says there are three different states and three different poises of one reality. What is the reality? The reality is a water. It takes the form of the ocean, it takes the form of the river, it takes the form of the waves and he gives the example of light and the vibrations. So both of them, so it, he goes still deeper and says that reality is a water which is or the water, whatever constitutes water. And there are three different poises of one reality. And thereby on that basis he uh, reveals to us how in the Isha Upanishad there is a great reconciliation right at the beginning of civilization. I mean, of course, Upanishads come later than the Vedas, but actually, Isha Upanishad is a part of the Vedas. It's an ancient uh, book which has been revealed thanks to sage seer Yagnabalk. It's part of the Vedas, so it's really ancient. It's not come later on. And what did they uh, reconcile? They reconcile Lord and nature. Conscious Lord and phenomenal nature. So phenomenal nature is within the Lord. And if we go deep inside nature, we discover the Lord. It's filled with the vibrations of the Lord. It's man's business to discover this. So this is one. Then it reconciles renunciation and enjoyment. Two-step process. Renounce to enjoy. If you don't renounce, you won't enjoy or you will have always a limited share of joy which will soon, even while you are having it, it will be constantly shadowed with pain and sorrow. The moment you try to hold it and possess it, automatically the thought will be, what if tomorrow it's not there? Which is a fact that tomorrow it won't be there. So renunciation and enjoyment are, renunciation is a step towards enjoying this world as the Lord enjoys. Then it reconciles action in nature and freedom in the soul. Action does not bind man. It is this illusory idea of separateness that binds man. Kurvan Nevehe Karmani. And there Shubhindu describes that how Shankara tweaked it a little uh, because you know he is an illusionist, uh, I mean monist. So he, it is very difficult to... Uh, put the two together. So he speaks of action being necessary till one gets the freedom. But Shurabindu says that freedom of the soul is not only consistent with action, it is the eternal fact. The soul is always free, but there is an illusion of the ego, the separate self. Because it's looking too much at nature, is absorbed with it. It's like the story of Narcissus, where he's looking at his shadow in the river and thinks it is. He's the shadow. 
He is the reflection. And therefore, a time comes when he actually jumps into the river and dies. See, the story of Narcissus and Goldmore is a very amazing novel. But it is a character from Greek mythology and from which the term narcissistic personality disorder comes. So, narcissistic people are those who are only thinking about themselves. So, this man looks into this river and believes that this is me. And he is so attached, so attracted, so enamored that he is not willing to turn away. And so he jumps into the sea and dies, uh, river and dies. If only he knew that this reflection, that reflection, I am still that, independent of all reflections. So again, action and freedom of the soul. When, when the soul turns towards nature, is so absorbed in it that thinks I am this movement, then it is covered by the sense of ego. Like the Dwasuparna, the two word, uh, birds of the Upanishad, where when it turns away and sees itself, another bird just like it, who is enjoying the fruit, who is watching, the first one is eating the fruit and the other one is watching and is in state of joy. So then it realizes that I am separate from this, I am independent reality and then of course it enters into it, engages in the play in a very meaningful way. Because it knows that I am not this play and yet I am here to play. That is the beauty of it. Then the one stable Brahman and the multiple movement. So that we know in Sloka 8, Saparyagachat. It is that divine wisdom that has gone into this creation. Into all its activities and everything. It is that which has become this entire creation. Being and becoming. The being, it is the being who manifests himself in the becoming. It is the one Lord who manifests. And we can take it like this. Examples Shurabindu will give in this Upanishad is that there is a person who writes. So is the writing separate from the person? Well, in a sense, yes, but in a sense, no. Because uh, the writing is emerging from the heart of the person. Even when the person uh, does not write, it is there inside. Where is Mahabharat before it was written? It was in the heart of Vyasa. <laughs> we can call it like that. But when it writes, it becomes manifested. So this is our being and becoming. The active Lord and the indifferent Akshar Brahman. This is where it reconciles these two opposite, where the Lord enters into the dynamic movement, but at the same time he stands apart. So that we know in the third, uh, fourth sloka, where it speaks of Anejadekam, uh, so where he has become the many, and uh, also he is far, he is near, he is all around. So there it is reconciled. Vidya and Avidya, again we can look at it as two poises of one reality and or we can take them as two steps. By ignorance they cross beyond death and by knowledge they gain immortality. So that's how. So ignorance is the first step through which the soul develops and then at a point of time it goes into Vidya. But neither Avidya nor Vidya is the goal. The goal is Vidyancha, Vidyancha, Yastadvedavhyamsa. Again, not a disappearance into Vidya, which is oneness. But with the uh, knowledge of oneness to play with the multiplicity. When we know that I may be having a war with somebody, but basically Russia, Ukraine are same. So when we know this truth, I mean <laughs> that we are one reality and because of various reasons today we are at war, then the heart is not doesn't bleed the way it bleeds today. It understands that whatever reason, outer reason, in terms of time, but deep inside it's always aware of this one reality and knows that there is the one divine who is moving this entire creation, like Kaurav Pandav. Birth and non-birth. So again, we create an opposition. Birth is here a limitation. 
and non-birth is illimitable. So that is how it, later on Vedantic thought uh, in India developed this idea of being freed from the cycle of birth because birth means a limitation. Limitation to the body, limitation of personality, limitation of a mind. It's again like the wave and the ocean. But the day we realize, we, again we don't have to seek the non-birth out of birth, but we have to join the two. Always to know one's, oneself as the unborn, illimitable self and yet act within limitations. Classic example is, supposing there is, I mean Einstein. If Einstein has to teach physics to his child, so will Einstein start teaching him E equals to MC square? No. He knows it, but he will limit himself and teach him what is needed. So that's how one has to understand birth and no birth. It's a conscious, deliberate limitation. That's how the divine plays with this world. And then, of course, works and knowledge, where again, knowledge is not inconsistent with works and vice versa. Knowledge is the background of works. To uh, imagine the two are separate and here knowledge is the knowledge of the Brahman because he is ever engaged in constant manifestation. Once we know it, we reconcile these. So uh, just in very brief, but in uh, in the uh, collected works of Shri volume 17, Shri with great analysis explains all these points through analysis. And it's so logical, so beautiful. Actually, uh, very frankly, I mean, if you read that part, uh, first part, which is Ishupanishad and its analysis, translation and analysis. At least that was my impression. I felt that I know everything that I need to know. <laughs> That's <laughs> that everything is compressed here. You want to know about God, it is there. You want to know about nature, it is there. You want to know about creation, it is there. You want to know about yourself, about work. Everything is there, but in a very crisp um, um, statement, which are burdened with infinite suggestions. So analysis required so that Shabindo reveals to us all the suggestions which are hidden inside. The method of Ishupanishad uh, is not giving us a process to realize it. But it just states intuitive truths and it's up to us. Either we can just accept it or we can reject it or the way is that we reflect upon it, meditate upon these truths. And if we meditate upon it, we will realize it. For instance, Shurbindo, in the Alipur jail, we all talk about the Uttar Parabhashan and you know how he realized that he had this experience. Shurbindo gives the secret of this experience. And he says that when he had to walk from the cow shed to the, to the place where they were used to, the prisoners used to make things. So he would uh, recite or meditate upon these verses of the Isha Upanishad. And one more, and that is Sarvakhal Vidam Brahman. He says that all the time he was thinking the tree is Brahman, the people are Brahman, the people. That was his state. So he is giving us a path. In just one sentence he says, I was all the time thinking Sarvakhal Vidam Brahman. So I, I, when I would look at the tree, I would think there is the divine here. When I looked at the prisoners, I would say he is the divine. When I looked at the jailers, I took it. This is a meditation. It's an idea. It starts like that. He is the divine. So like that he was leading his life and one day the great disclosure takes place. So literally if we meditate upon this idea, it will lead to, for us it's all is the divine mother and her manifestation. So this way when we meditate, one day the divine disclosure takes place. So this, this is how the Upanishad reconciles. And as I said, then there is the part 2. Part 2 contains his incomplete writings. 
never be you know uh, i don't know why they have written incomplete because the lord is complete in his incompleteness <laughs> i have never understood why they have written incomplete that's because we have not read the verse of the upanishad where it says out of the full came out the full <laughs> into each atom of existence and yet it continued to remain the full in each atom of existence the fullness is there and what i have seen is that should have been those many people have the oh this is incomplete writing excuse me just read it and you'll see that this is oh my god i would have missed had i not read it this was my state entire cosmology how from the pragya there is hiranyagarbha and there is the virat all this he explains in those writings which we call as incomplete it's all there so one of the incomplete writings is it's called incomplete because uh, well in this particular one Isha Vasya Upanishad, which I thought that we must read uh, in the fitness of things. Uh, so, in Isha Vasya Upanishad, he um, takes up the first eight verses of the Isha Upanishad. So, it's incomplete in the sense he did not complete the other verses. But what he has poured into it, even one particular, um, uh, you know, between student-guru dialogue, is enough to liberate us. So, it is in the form of a student-guru sambad. a student asks questions and the guru answers so that's how he has uh, the format and these are writings before 1914 the 1914 he wrote what he had to write about the isha upanishad the translation and uh, after that shrubindu has not seen it so that's he did not revise it but they are so powerful so if one has to ask ever that are there some passages to meditate upon in uh, shubindu's writing well every passage is to be meditated upon but some of them are extremely powerful and obviously i have my own angle of vision but each one will find their own so i can share what has uh, personally not only helped me but i found them remarkable um, for instance one of the meditation is when we look at the night sky so what do we see oh aaj today is purnima ka chand today is this but look at what shubindu reveals to us i'll read this passage again it's sarv khalvidam brahman here he takes us from where we are takes us through the sun to the stars to the galaxies constellations brings us back to earth to all that is around and finally takes us deep inside us that is the beauty of this passage it's a very picturesque image of the divine everywhere and it starts with lift your eyes towards the sun he is there in that wonderful heart of life and light and splendor sun is the source of all light but also of all life can't imagine earth without the sun if six days it is said that the sun completely blanks out because of you know it has happened once that light did not reach the earth touch the earth it can lead to a pralaya like situation life is inside the sun it manifests upon earth he is there in that wonderful heart of life and light and splendor what about the night watch at night the innumerable constellations glittering like so many solemn watchfires of the eternal they are spear points of space as the stars move space expands just imagine spear points like so many solemn watchfires of the eternal in the limitless silence 
which is no void, but throbs with the presence of a single calm and tremendous existence. One of the simplest ways of quietening the mind. Mother gives this in another writing. She says, uh, if you are troubled with things, besieged with problems, anxieties, she says there are two wonderful ways. One is think of far end of space, boundless space. And other is think, think of endless time. That our journey has started from those days when Adi Manav, no, even before that, no, even before that, from the origin when within the divine, all these little, little points, sparks came out, the Jeevatmas. Actually, it is very liberating. And then we have come up to this point and then we have to go further. Now, you know, all our big difficulties or little difficulties are dissolved immediately. <laughs> we are so much hypnotized and glued with the moment. So here comes this passage that this entire void is throbbing with a single calm. It's very calming, incidentally. Um, even that's why now, of course, in now aircraft, you are filled with this thing. But like for me, traveling in Air Force aircraft where you are sometimes, you know, alone and the pilots are taking. So it's such a beautiful thing to just feel that. Or even in the mountains too. The problem with city life is you can't see these stars. Otherwise, if one can just watch it, it's very, very liberating. Or even in thought, we can do that. See there, Orion with his sword and belt shining. Now see, we Orion and he'll talk about these constellations, different constellations. What do we call it as? Nakshatra. See there, Orion with his sword and belt, shining as he shone to the Aryan fathers 10,000 years ago at the beginning of the Aryan era. He at once is fixing the date also. <laughs> Casually, at the same time he is revealing to us, look at that, they also saw it. They saw the same, you know, sometimes this is a very beautiful way to connect. Don't two people connect? Hurry, just look at the moon today. Just go and look at the moon. So when two people see the same moon, there is a feeling of connectedness. Why? They are not seeing each other, but they are seeing the same moon. So, just imagine seeing that constellation, which was seen by our own forefathers 10,000 years ago. This is the instant, uh, this mobile network connects us to the past not uh, just to the immediate this thing. Because, you know, that was the same start they saw. At the beginning of the Aryan era, Sirius in his splendor, Lyra sailing billions of miles away in the ocean of space. Just look at these stars, constellations. Who would feel depressed and dull after that? Remember that these innumerable worlds most of them mightier than our own, are whirling with indescribable speed at the back of that ancient of days, whither none but he knoweth. They are not static pictures. The star we see today has probably gone extinct 10,000 years back. And the new ones which have come, we will see in our supramental bodies. <laughs> 
because that's how the light has taken so much time to travel by the time it has traveled the star has already collapsed so just to imagine this is so powerful and they are whirling at this indescribable speed what is the speed of earth some how many thousands of miles per second can we imagine whirling at this speed rotating and revolving around the sun and we don't even know who set them moving this is who is that ancient of days purusha purano vishnu lying on his couch and you know all these stars are whirling constellations purusha purano ancient of the days and yet that they are a million times more ancient than your himalaya we are so much concerned with earth oh what is happening in you know this place that place we should be concerned but always in the background should be that infinity people say that shurbindo state was such that uh, even if a nuclear bomb were to explode before him it is like he would not bat an eyelid and he would not oh it is going to happen no, not not that way always even in his powerful action there was always a calm which was felt more steady than the roots of your hills and shall so remain until he at his will shakes them off like withered leaves from the eternal tree of the universe when he shakes it these stars just vanish just imagine they grow cold they just that is the power of the just the shakti we talk about divine mother we read it consciousness force of the supreme what does it mean and this is the material universe in which we can see her dance realize the boundless imagine the endlessness of time realize the boundlessness of space and then remember that when these worlds were not he was the same as now and when these are not he shall be still the same perceive that beyond lyra he is and far away in space where the stars of the southern cross cannot be seen still he is there just takes us transports us to It's difficult to speak after that. Still, he is there. And then come back to the earth. Now you know he is bringing us. <laughs> and then come back to the earth, and realize who this he is. He is quite near to you. See yonder old man who passes near you, crouching and bent, with his stick. do you realize that it is god who is passing no i thought that i am belonging to an elite group he is an outsider i belong to this state he is another state i didn't know he is god who is passing you know that story of in a monastery where everything was cracking down and somebody comes when only four people are left a master comes and tells each of them something like a guru mantra is don't reveal it to anyone after some time the monastery comes up again everything is beautiful harmony wealth everything flows wherever there is harmony wealth will come even outer wealth first acquire the inner one so then after some time they say what magic this man did let's exchange notes what did he after all say 
So the man is called because they are not supposed to tell it to each other. He said nothing. I just went to each one of them and told, one amongst you is God. Now all of them start treating each other with respect. Who knows this fellow? But Indian teaching goes still further. Each one of us is God. Yonder old man. Do you realize that it is God who is passing? I know about a physician who would uh, treat patients very well. Ayurvedic physician. Someone asked that we are all giving the same medicine. Somehow your thing works. He says, every time I see a patient, I have this inward prayer. Hey, Sachidananda Brahm, why are you wearing this cloak of disease? <laughs> so I invoke his presence. That's all we have to do. Manifest, manifest, manifest. O eternal beauty, a wonderful love, O supreme power, O knowledge, ultimate, illimitable existence, manifest. And when it manifests, all these masks start. This is our work actually, to enter into that supreme vibration and then bring it out. This is what Shurabindu says in this very volume. That we have to first, from the phenomenal nature, enter and come in contact with the ground of existence, ground of being. And then we have to bring it out. And as it manifests, everything else will go away. It's as simple as that. There a child runs laughing in the sunlight. Can you hear him in that laughter? See, later on he would write who? Not later, he has written who earlier. In the blush of a girl, in the strength of a man, in the beauty of woman, in the laughter of boy, in the blush of a girl, the hand that sent Jupiter spinning through heaven spends all its cunning to fashion a curl. So, when we see a child, actually these things were there in India's traditional uh, approach to life till they were lost because of the onslaught of a cultural invasion which took place. So what was there? It was like when children were there, children were referred to as Balagopal. Heard about it? No, must have heard. Balagopal is Krishna. So whenever he was naughty, Balagopal. Now, the child is very naughty, he has a problem, please show to a psychiatrist and psychiatrist started. He is Balagopal. He has come to break your mental notions. And what was a woman? Devi. We don't have International Women's Day. <laughs> so silly it is. She is Devi. So actually on at least two occasions, which was on you know Durga Puja connected days, Ashtami, the little girls were worshipped as goddess, Devi. And then they were given nice things to eat. And I still remember I used to wish I was a girl that day. <laughs> Such special treatment. <laughs> there is no Deva Day, by the way. There is no Deva Day, only Devi Day, Kumari Puja. In Kumari Puja you feed them nicely. And you wash their hands, you give them gifts and then they go away so happily. I still remember feeling envious of these little girls who would come and they would be worshipped. I said, why there is no day for men <laughs> or boys, that time boys. But that's how it is. That's Indian civilization. We don't need to learn about women liberation. We are liberated. For us, woman is Shakti. The day a woman realizes it, she is liberated. 
We don't say Women's Day, you remain woman, but I will one day wish you with some chocolate, some gifts. We don't do that kind of silly stuff. We rather tell a woman, thou art God, Bhavani, Mahisasur Mardini, thou art Saraswati, thou art Lakshmi, moving in the lotus grooves with a heart of tender love. Thou art Maheshwari, all wisdom is in you. And God forbid, if I mistreat you, thou can become Kali and Durga. This is how we have learnt. It's inbuilt in the fabric of Indian thought. That woman is God. We forgot it. That's different. And then somebody should remind us that this is International Women's Day. Without women, there is no creation in Indian thought. <laughs> there is no uh, Adam and Eve, Eve coming out of the rib of uh, Adam. At its origin, there is this Mahashakti, tremendous Nay, he is nearer still to you. He is in you. Not only the child and the old man, he is in you. He goes still further. He is in you. He is you. Yes, means Sarvani Bhutani Atmane Vanupashate. Tatrako Mohako Shoka Atmeva Bhutvijanata. Now, this is Ekatomani Pashate. Now, this is the beauty. He is you. God has become this limited creature. He's not, you know, this is the greatest idea in Indian thought. Tattomasi, Sohamasmi. You are that. He's not somewhere outside in a temple or a church or a Gurudwara or a masjid. He is in you. And He is you. He has become. The day I realize it, then life becomes beautiful. So the first effort should be to realize this. Not just with the intellect, but in our very inner being and in our very bones. He is you. It is yourself that burns yonder millions of miles away in the infinite reaches of space that walks with confident steps on the tumbling billows of the ethereal sea. It is you who have set the stars in their places and woven the necklace of the suns not with hands but by that yoga, that silent, actionless, impersonal will. So he is asking us to engage with that yoga, where we become one with that silent will. Whatever it wills, that is. That is the secret. Not that whatever I desire, cosmos will conspire to fulfill for me. No. To become one with that silent, actionless, impersonal will, one with knowledge. See, this is the Divine Mother. And the moment we become that, we discover this great, tremendous power within us. That silent, actionless, impersonal will which has set you here today listening to yourself in me. What a powerful message. For the joy of the play. O child of the ancient yoga and be no longer it, look up. O child of the ancient yoga, whose children are we? We are children born of yoga. What is this yoga? The divine and this earth. Together, when they came together, the divine soul and this material nature, we are born out of that. We carry within us ourselves a particle of that divine soul and we also have something of this material nature. So we are child of that ancient yoga. This is a truth 
of her origin it's a truth we have to realize in the course of time oh child of the ancient yoga look up oh child of the ancient yoga and be no longer a trembler and a doubter fear not doubt not grieve not why sir fear comes to us so much corona we are seeing on the news and now on top of it you are sending us a world war at our door what should we do so he said fear not doubt not grieve not for in your apparent body is one who can create and destroy worlds with a breath how liberating it is in your apparent body look at the words apparent this is not me it is an appearance created for the play in your apparent body everybody's apparent body is one with a capital o who can create and destroy worlds with a breath will a child of divine mother ever fear i have told this experience about one of the sadhaks who was open to shiva and shiva was his family deity and once he went through lot of depression usual stuff story somebody dissed him and then you know he is going through pain hardship so three days he says i was just weeping i didn't feel like crying all this is going on suddenly he is calling shiva shiva then shiva appeared before him he had this faculty of vision because simple heart no it's from childhood he had this faculty of vision suddenly he sees shiva standing tall touching the ceiling exactly as mother described red i asked him in all these details to make sure that you are not one of those <laughs> red standing tall and then he came and touched his head and says ma divya janani tu kahe ko rota mother is the divine mother why are you crying three times he told him the same sentence keep why are you crying when divine mother is with you she is the one who has created these worlds and you are calling me it's almost like you know shiva in few words is communicating to him she is the divine mother and you are crying and then i said what happened he says i felt so peaceful so happy everything just vanished everything vanished did it come back he says no that went away such imagine one minute but one has to have that consciousness so this is one part so if this is the truth of our inner being how do we relate with each other for the joy of love how will love be there when there is oneness love is the beauty of playing oneness playing with differentiation that is the joy supramental love supramental is a state where you are in oneness and yet there is love how can love be there you can either have one loves six union so if there is union you grow one but if without love there is no joy of meeting longing parting uniting eventually growing one and rediscovering this oneness in countless ways this is vishishta dvaita how do you experience that what would love become so here is again in ishavash upanishad shrubindo reminding us what is normally understood by love this surface attraction meeting together physical relation he says if sensual gratification were all then it is obvious that i should have no reason to prefer one woman or another and after the brute gratification liking would cease it will vanish 
then what about the emotional maybe it's an emotional hunger if emotional gratification is all then i might indeed cling for a time to the woman who had pleased my body but only so long as she gave me emotional pleasure that is the days he says well you can't be every all the time right and every time right i also have my needs so she says after that it tends to when it's all this since you've been this poem immortal love savitri itself is the story when death says i know i know all people talk about love and what happens and then savitri replies my love is not a hunger of the flesh my love is not a hunger of the heart so here he says by her obedience her sympathy with my likes and dislikes her pleasant speech her admiration or her answering love so she says so long as these things are there her sympathy with my likes and dislikes so long she says yes i am with you see old time that was the way women had found to say yes 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 whether they believed it or not and the man foolishly thought <laughs> that she cannot think she knew everything she was just fooling you to make she has her opinions she should have her opinions but as long as she had these liking dislikes one with you then it will continue by her obedience sit on the couch and ask for a cup of tea as long as she makes the days he says why can't you make it why don't you pick up the glass and keep it in the kitchen oh you have you know so he says till then her pleasant speech so long as she is mahagauri mahalakshmi the day she becomes mahakali get out but dare you say that's the time if you can love then you really love <laughs> why because this is kali no that is another dimension truth that is expressing itself <laughs> her admiration or her answering love till she is there i may love this sort of liking to is persistently given the great name and celebrated in poetry and romance then if aesthetic gratification were all my liking for a woman of great beauty or great charm might well outlast the loss of all emotional gratification but when the wrinkles began to trace the writing of age look at how he is writing wrinkles began to trace the writing of age on her face or when accident marred her beauty my liking would fade or vanish since the effect would lose the nutrition of a present cause intellectual gratification seldom enters into the love of a man for a woman even if it did so more frequently the intellectual gratification to be derived from a single mind is soon exhausted in day long and night long companionship shrivindra is very very gentleman he is not using the word boring companionship because after some time you have discussed everything <laughs> how long you will discuss the same thing so he says that uh, one mind how much will you discuss so after some time it tends to so that's why in a man and woman relation it seldom enters it can come intellectual uh, you know companionship usually in people who have the same ideology it tends to be you know they come together is this all about love whence then comes that love which is greater than life and stronger than death which survives the loss of beauty and loss of charm which defies the utmost pain and scorn the object of love can deal out to it even when there is 
pain is inflicted, scorn is there, still can you continue to love? Which often pours out from a great and high intellect on one infinitely below it. People often say, what is the match? It's not about matches. Love is not about matchmaking. It's about love. Don't call it matchmaking. Shurabindu's own life, when you look at that picture, this sentence reminds me of that. Shurabindu sitting on the edge of the armchair. What a magnificent image that is. And Milani Devi is sitting on the chair. And he's sitting by the side holding. Infinitely greater intellect. You can't imagine. Swanlata Devi. And yet, what a love that, you know, just send me a book which is signed by her. When she leaves her body, there is a teardrop in the eyes of the divine. This is the kind of love that he had for her. What again is that love of woman which nothing can surpass? Today is the day of, you know, so-called International Day. This is the greatest tribute. Not all these giving a gift, chocolate is the worst thing. Giving a gift one day, International Women's Day. Does she need chocolate? She needs love. She needs admiration. She needs genuine. Not like, you know, you are looking very nice. That is common stuff. Look at what tribute Sharbindo pays to a woman. What again is that love of woman? Now here is not using the word man. <laughs> Only woman can love like this. What again is that love of woman which nothing can surpass? That's why Sharbindo said that the way mother surrendered, nobody had ever surrendered like that upon earth. And then he says, Perhaps only the woman can surrender like this. And that's why his famous aphorism that only when I became a woman that I understood about God. So here is that. What again is that love of woman which nothing can surpass? Which lives on neglect and thrives on scorn and cruelty. Whose flames rise higher than the red tongues of the funeral pyre. Which follows you into heaven or draws you out of hell. The actual stories of Sati like that. See this, this may sound very, oh no, 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 women liberation, they are equal. Yes, that's true. But look, this is another perspective altogether. I have seen sometimes even here, especially in you know Tamil Nadu area, something very remarkable which has been lost in many places. Uh, strangely, it is, you will find it not in the so-called uh, intellectual society. Because you know you all corrupted files. But a woman, even when husband is neglecting her, you try to intervene and see how she will then defend and even go to the extent he is my husband. Whatever it is. I have a right to tell him whatever. But he is my husband. She will defend him. This is something amazing. And while on one side you understand that the misery that they experience, on the other side you see the love. There are two ways of seeing the same thing. Like I say, when you see all kinds of hopeless, seemingly hopeless, impossible cases as disciples, think about the Divine Mother's love. So on one side we see the misery, on the other side the love of a woman which surpasses all these things. Say not that this love does not exist and that all here is based on appetite, vanity, interest to selfish pleasure, that Rama and Sita... Ruru and Savitri are but dreams and imaginations. That's why they have to be kept alive. Interesting. Rama and Sita, both. But here he speaks of Ruru, not Ruru and Pramadvara. One-sided love. Savitri, not Savitri and Satyavan. Ruru and Savitri are but dreams and imagination. 
Human nature, conscious of its divinity, throws back the libel in scorn, and poetry blesses and history confirms its verdict. That love is nothing. What is the basis of this love? That love is nothing but the self recognizing the self, both with capital S, dimly or clearly, and therefore seeking to realize oneness and the bliss of oneness. And that is the basis of friendship also. I do not seek from my friend the pleasure of the body or choose him for his good looks nor for that similarity of taste and pursuit I would ask in a mere comrade. Nor do I love him because he loves me or admires me as I would perhaps love a disciple. Nor do I necessarily demand of him a clever brain. All these feelings exist but they are not the soul of friendship. I love my friend for the woman's reason. Because I love him, because in the old imperishable phrase, he is my other self. This is how he reveals to us about love and same love of the patriot and love of. And then something very contemporary, war is going on, everybody wants the war to stop. Wonderful. How is it going to stop? By holding protest march, candle marches, peace, standing, forming a human chain. You will only stop war momentarily in one place, it will erupt another. What is the root cause of war and how we can, you know, look at this writing, how contemporary it is. You would get rid of war for a time of the mangling of men's bodies by men. But the body, though to be respected as the chosen vehicle or the favorite dress of Brahman, is not of the first importance. We are too much shocked by the plight of human bodies. We are not BBC News. We look at Bharatvarsha has looked upon life very differently. Men dying, displaying chivalry and bravery is not death, but freedom of another kind. And you can't get rid of War by just pity, shrinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh, look at those images, they are very dangerous. This is not how we look at war. How does an Indian thought look at war? You would not get rid of the much more cruel mangling of the human self by hatred, greed and strife. Physically, peace, yuddhviram. But there is hatred, anger, inner cruelty, ill will, cursing. The Europeans attach too much importance to the body. Now you'll understand the entire scenario of different responses. The Europeans attach too much importance to the body, shrink too much from physical sin and are far too much at their ease with mental sin. In one half a line, this half a line, he has analyzed the situation. Mentally it's okay, you can sin. But physically... See, that's why all this pornography and all this proliferated. Nobody is watching you. Mentals, it's okay. But physically, this is madam so and so putting the hands around and walking with. That's not Indian thought and the courage to accept things which, you know, one cannot imagine. It accepts love. It accepts even the wideness of love. So look here. He's saying, they, are, they shrink too much from physical sin and are far too much at their ease with mental sin. 
it is enough for them if a woman abstain from carrying out her desire in action if a man abstain from physical violence then is the one chaste the other self controlled chastity is defined by physical physicality but chastity is not about the body chastity is about the mind virginity is not a question of the physical act virginity is a state of consciousness in which love is fresh with complete giving of itself that is the state of virginity virginity is not uh, that's how with kunti that is the gift given to her eternal virgin can we imagine how can one be eternal virgin and have children that's how one is an eternal virgin undefiled inside with the purity of that love it is enough for them if a woman abstain from carrying out a desire in action if a man abstain from physical violence then is the one chaste the other self controlled this is not sheer anaryanism or mlechhood it is at best the half baked virtue of the semi aryanized this if not sheer anaryanism or mlechhood is at best the half baked virtue of the semi aryanized be you who are born in the aryan discipline however maimed by long bondage an aryan indeed chaste in mind and spirit and not merely careful in speech and body gentle in heart and thought and not merely decent in words and actions so we, we did, don't don't learn that manners where and mother spoke of this very interestingly that you open the door front door and ask her all oh, that's okay good but that's not the core mother said that yes when you look at children here some of them may say that they are very ill mannered but that's not the issue it's not about manners it's about what is your inner state this is the true self control and real morality no paradise therefore can exist no paradise even if it existed can last until that which makes sin and hell is conquered which is our inner state we may never have a paradise on earth but if it is ever to come it will come not when all mankind are as brothers for brothers jar and hate as much and often more than mere friends or strangers but when all mankind has realized that it is one self There's the story of the mother when she went back from India. She has put it as somebody else's story. I have a feeling that it probably is mother's story. But anyway, she put it as a story that, as the story goes, somebody went back from India. And like you just, oh, acha, they talk about soul, self. How many souls are there? How many mockingly? How many souls are there? How many souls? So this person stretched out a finger and just said one. only one soul when we live with this idea this truth this thought even and this living experience then you won't have war one never feels hurt if my own hand strikes my other hand <laughs> nor can that be until mankind has realized that all existence is one self the bird the beast the stone everything for if in united humanity tyrannize over bird and beast and insect the atmosphere of pain hatred and fear breathing up from the lower creation will infect and soil the purity of the upper see corona virus origins you can't keep destroying life its pain will rise up into the atmosphere 
stifle it, corrupt us. It will infect us with illness. And all of us are responsible in that sense. All of us means this thought. And finally, it takes us to the doorsteps of man's perpetual search for utopia. How is utopia to be created? Not by creating big buildings and suddenly all this. That comes much later. People get this, you never know, oh, what skyscrapers, what lovely rails, what aircraft, they, you know, that's okay. That must come after the firm foundation. If firm foundation is not there, you cannot have utopia. You'll have high-rise building which will take only one rocket to finish or half an hour for these weapons of mass destruction. What you cannot destroy is the foundation. So, finally, he says, there are plenty of such passages. Very simple description, but I have just taken out three. Distrust, distrust all utopias that seek to destroy sin or scrape away part of the soil in which it grows while preserving intact the very roots of sin. Outwardly very nice, polished. How do you do? That's not how utopias can be created. Shake hands and greet. That's not how utopias are created. Very nice, all regulated, perfected order. That's not how utopias are created. Because the roots are there. Now we can see in the last, you know, since 2000, all this idea that utopia is created by external things. External things are important, but only when the inner is on a firm foundation. That is the beauty of Indian civilization. So what are the roots of sin? Ahankar, born of ignorance, and desire. For when ahankar is there, ego is there, likes and dislikes are born. The primal couple of dualities, liking for what furthers the satisfaction of desire, dislike for what hinders it, the sense of possession, the sense of loss, attraction, repulsion, charm, repugnance, love, hatred, pity, cruelty, kindness, wrath, the infinite and eternal procession of the dualities. Admit but one pair and all the others come stumbling in in its wake. But the man who sees himself in all creatures cannot hate. He shrinks from none. He has neither repulsion nor fear. Yonder leper whom all men shun, but shall I shun him? Who know that from this strange disguise the Brahman looks out with smiling eyes. This foreman who comes with a sword to pierce me through the heart, I look beyond the sharp, threatening sword, beyond the scowling brow and the eyes of hate, and I recognize the mask of myself. Thereafter, I shall neither fear the sword nor hate the bearer. But then he says, yes, I may resist because he is uh, tearing away the dress. Thou canst but tear this dress of mine, this food sheath or multiplied protoplasm. I am what I was before. I will not be angry with thee even. But who would trouble himself to be angry with a child because in its play or little childish wrath it has torn his dress? Perhaps I valued the dress and would not so soon have parted with it. I will try then to save it. A different thought it is. I will try then to save it. If I may and even punish thee without anger. So that thou mayest not tear more dresses. But if I cannot, well, it was but a cloth and another can soon be had from the merchant. Nay, have I not already paid the purchase money? Plenty of such passages, plenty 
to meditate upon, reflect upon, to realize, to live in our lives. Very, very practical writings. Thank you.